It can be lonely at the top. We all know what it's like to lead and own a business and wanting to scale, but finding yourself at a glass ceiling. That is where the power of collaboration and connection comes in. Hi, I'm Natasha Milani. I'm an expert at helping businesses and business owners harness the power of collaboration to connect, scale and grow. I am passionate about collaboration. I believe that no one executes alone. We all do better when we do it together. Welcome to this Power of Collaboration podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. I hope you get the inspiration and information you need to harness the power of collaboration to break through your glass ceilings. Today, we're talking to Elaine Benstead, CEO of Zoos SA. Welcome, Elaine. Hello, good to be here. Now, I'm really interested about the conversation we're going to have today. For those listening, Zoos SA includes the Adelaide Zoo, where actually SA Leaders holds all their events, and Monato Zoo. Monato Safari Park now, officially rebranded last year. Right, apologies for that. Um, that's why I'm going to hand over to you, Elaine, to just share a little bit of background with us about what you do and a little bit about who you are. Yeah, so I'm Chief Executive of Zoos SA, as you said, Adelaide Zoo and Monato Safari Park. We... We're a bit different to most of the zoos in Australia in that we're a not-for-profit. We're not a government zoo, so we're legally owned by our members. And I've been in this job for nine years, which has gone in some ways incredibly quickly, but it also seems like a lifetime ago that I did anything else because I'm just so immersed now and absolutely love what I do. But it was my first job in the zoo industry, so I sort of leapt in to the chief exec's role after where well, I was previously the chief executive of TAFE. So quite a career shift. I'm really curious to get to know more about um, Zoos SA as a business. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of diversity in terms of running this business. You've been quoted as saying, it's your dream job. You have a, the best office. It's, it's a beautiful environment. Just share with us a little bit of insight into the business. I know you talked about members already. One of your um, successes has been a huge increase in, in membership in your tenure. So just tell us about the business model a little bit. Yeah, well, certainly when I started, Natasha, and, and those people who are in South Australia might recall, the zoo was in quite a lot of financial difficulties. I started in 2012 and the zoo had been running at a deficit for many years, had a debt that wasn't being serviced, staff superannuation not being paid. It was not in a healthy position at all. And there was a whole range of reasons that led to that. Um, there was a lot of discussion about pandas, um, but there was also a GFC. And as a non-government zoo, we're really quite reliant on some amazing corporate partners, donors um, and supporters, and that all pretty much disappeared. So I started, I guess, when the from a business point of view, the zoo was in a really rocky place. There was talk of an administrator being appointed. And for me, I guess it was sort of fortuitous because in all of the years of history of the zoo, and the zoo was established in 1878, so it has a long history, all of the previous directors or chief executives had come more from the animal background. I obviously didn't, um, but the animal stuff was all still going really well. It was the business stuff that wasn't. Um, and so that's why the board appointed me in the first couple of years was just trying to turn around the financials. Um, and part of that strategy was deliberately focusing on growing our membership base because the bulk of our revenue comes from our day visitors and from our annual members. Your day visitors, you're always really vulnerable to weather. Um, if you have bad weather during a long weekend, 
you don't recover from it. It's just that long, as we just had in the October long weekend. So it's dear in my heart. Um, whereas once people have paid an annual membership fee, um, they can come as often as they like. So it's a great value proposition, but it also gives us some greater revenue certainty. I'm, I'm, you can put me down for an annual membership. I think that's a great idea. There's also a fabulous promotion at the moment on our life membership. So you can actually buy someone a life membership. They can bring someone to the zoo with them every day for the rest of their life. And it is beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful surrounding. It's educational. It's great for families. It ticks all those boxes. So for those listening, I do urge that you do check out a membership opportunity. Fabulous Christmas presents. Absolutely. Good timing, yes. So I'm curious, the business model, you mentioned that revenue comes from memberships. You talked about visitation. COVID must have impacted that considerably. Just talk us through what's been going on the last sort of 18 months plus in the zoo environment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a, say no more. In a word. <laughs> um, you know, isn't it amazing? In March um, 2019, our daughter was turning 30. She lives in London. So we went over to see her, have a family holiday, went to Portugal, managed to get back a couple of days before borders shut down and then it was just chaos and at the time, I think we all thought it might go for a couple of months. And the fact that it's now, what, 20 months later, and we at the zoo have been operating under restrictions ever since then. So we were closed for three months. You know, to put that in context, we opened the gates to the public in 1883. And in all the years since then, there'd only been one day ever that Adelaide Zoo was closed to the public. That was when somebody tried to blow up our ATM with some nasty chemicals. So we'd been open through Great Depression, two world wars, the Spanish flu. So to close the doors and not know when we were going to reopen, we had to stand down half our staff on no pay. Um, and not one of them complained. They're very, very passionate about who we are as a conservation organisation. Half the staff kept coming to work. Obviously, our animal care had to continue. And I know I've talked to people, there's been so many industries that have done it really really tough. Um, talked to someone who was running a restaurant and they said, God, all our revenue just dried up overnight. And I said, yep, know that feeling, so did ours. But we've still got to keep buying food. At least you can stop you some of your expenses. Um, most of our expenditure continued because the animal care had to continue. So luckily for us, JobKeeper was announced and so we could at least um, pass that on to the staff who were stood down on no pay and offset the salary of those who were continuing to work. And then when we reopened, we reopened, I think, first off, it was on 20% capacity, then got up to 50% capacity on our daily visitor numbers, had a little brief window at 75% capacity um, in April and May this year. And then the July shutdown came and we're back on 50% capacity and still on 50%. And even sadly, when we get to the 23rd of November opening, we'll still be on 50% capacity. So... Yeah, revenue is hugely hit. Um, the team have been amazing just trying to look at diversifying. So, you know, last summer we were running twilight sessions. So we would do our normal day at the zoo, close for half an hour, do a clean, reopen the gates. The staff had to vote on an enterprise bargaining agreement amendment to allow us to do that, which they did with, I think it was a 96% yes vote. So the staff know it's just about driving revenue and keeping all expenditure to the bare essentials, really. There is some complexity and stress with that. How do you manage that in, the, in terms of the culture within your people of the organisation? 
Look, I think the bulk of it has been just through communication. Um, so in the lead up to our closure, we were doing daily, we use a thing called Workplace. It's like a Facebook for work. So I could be at one site, but they'd be videoing it. So the staff, um, we do have big outdoor areas. So we were doing outdoor meetings. On some stage, it was twice a day and it was just communicating what we knew, even... And that was, it was really hard, Natasha. I think for most leaders, we like having data to make decisions and you like to make decisions with enough time to really think them through. It was moving so quickly and there were so many unknowns. Um, you had to feel comfortable with, well, this is where we are. So we were having morning meetings um, with the leadership team. Okay, what do we know? What don't we know? What do we need to communicate? And then I'd stand on my soapbox, and which was literally a soapbox, um, and just share the information that we had. And we're still doing that because um, there's just a just an ever-evolving impact, not just on staff, on visitors, things like COVID marshals, but also the impacts on conservation um, and animal transfers. We work as part of a collective and we move animals for breeding purposes and you know, I have had some very interesting conversations <laughs> over the last 18 months, you know, with a giraffe that's left Queensland and the borders shut with 20 minutes notice. And I've got a team of people with a giraffe in a trailer and they've got to cross three states and you've got to try and get approvals. Um, yeah, there's been some interesting discussions. Did the giraffe make it? The giraffe the had to go the long way, so it, it had about an extra eight hours on the road. So luckily, we had put in a third staff member. We would normally only have two because uh, they had a very long trip, but it did make it. As has a re recent um, cheetah transfer. We've done border transfers where you literally push birds across the border so that our staff don't go across the border because otherwise they have to quarantine when they get back. So yeah, it's. Innovation, flexibility, all of the above. Very interesting. You mentioned, and, and I acknowledge that this, that, as I said before, that there's a complexity in this business. You mentioned that you hadn't come out of the industry, which has bowed you well mm -hmm. with your business expertise and experience versus a technical background. And I find that most of our members within SA Leaders they are technocrats. They are experts in their field of expertise, making their widget. And then they've got all these other business skills and decisions that they have to make and utilise. Tell us about your experience in getting the balance of that when you're running your organisation, choosing your team, setting that culture. Yeah, well, as I said, Natasha, I mean, the zoo has an amazing team of, of experts in animal care. I don't need to be an expert in animal care. However, I do need to know enough. And I use the example sometimes when I'm, I'm talking to others that, you know, if I'm presented a set of financial statements and we've got to sign them off for the auditor, I know how to analyse them and I know what questions to ask the CFO and et cetera, et cetera. The same if our people and performance team put an enterprise bargaining strategy again I've been involved in HR, I can go through and ask questions. So if my vet puts forward an animal health care plan, I need to know enough as to what questions to ask, but I don't need to be the vet. So it's that fine balance between a trust of your staff, but also enough knowledge so that you can continue setting direction and looking at continuous improvement. So I do an awful lot of reading. I don't actually really like watching television, so I, I read a lot of scientific papers and just just to keep that learning. The other key benefit for me coming into the zoo world is 
We've got an amazing collaborative approach across the zoos in Australia and New Zealand, in fact, across the world. But at any stage, I could pick up the phone and talk to Cameron, who's the, the head of uh, Taronga or Jenny or, uh, from Zoos Victoria. I can talk to Kevin in Auckland Zoo. Like we've, we connect because we don't see ourselves as competitors. We actually work really closely for the benefit of, of conservation anyway. So if we've done something that's really successful... It's great if one of the other zoos can pick it up and we do the same thing. So I didn't have to learn everything because there's plenty of people who came before me that I could ask. And this is exactly why I wanted to have a chat with you today about the organisation because I my instinctive gut was saying that there is going to be a lot of collaboration in your industry sector. Collaboration, my favourite word. Co-opetition, as you say, you're not competitors. Um, there's a lot of learning and sharing. What what mechanisms are in place to help enable that collaboration and shared learning? In the, the formal zoo, so I'm also vice president of the Zoo and Aquarium Association, which is like a membership based for good zoos across Australia and New Zealand. So there's a lot of formal processes. We normally have conferences and workshops. They've moved to online. We also mentor if there's new because there's a couple of major zoos in Australia, but there's also a lot of smaller private zoos. So we can sort of take one of them under the, our wing and, and share. And So it is quite set up that way because by nature we collaborate. But it happens even within South Australia. And again, people might think that we're in competition with, you know, you've got Cleveland Wildlife Park. You know, they've just fairly recently got a, had a new director. So again, we talk and collaborate, even though some could see that we're competitors. I think that's such a feel-good story right there and and I think that everyone listening will be pleased to hear that that's how the the industry operates here. Well I think at the heart of it is because we we have to do that for the conservation breeding programs that we run. Um, You've got to have good genetic mix of animals so you can't just keep your animals. Um, We've just recently early this year um, sadly had to euthanise our female tiger because she had tumours and Sumatran tigers, there's estimated about 400 left in the wild. Like they are really critically endangered. We've got a fabulous male who came over a couple of years ago from New Zealand, was with our breeding female. Sadly, she had a tumour. So we've got a magnificent male. The call goes around the globe for where's the best match for Kimbali to have a female. Sadly, identified one in America. There were some COVID cases in tigers in America. So it's a long story and we will eventually have a female tiger and join Kimbali soon. But as said, by our nature, because we're passionate about conservation, we collaborate anyway. I think that's a great purpose. I mean, is conservation really driving that purpose? Absolutely it is. Um, and, you know, we don't shy away from the, the history of the zoo. When the zoo opened, um, conservation probably wasn't at its heart. It was very much just about showcasing um, animals of all shapes, sizes. But now very much what we do is based around uh, conservation. We just happen to make our money that allows us to do that through being a sort of entertainment and tourism destination, but that's so that we can do conservation work, both in Australia and overseas. Fantastic. It seems like the industry's almost, almost matured. There's a maturity of thinking. Absolutely. And, and perhaps because the need has become so much more, mm. sadly. I find even, you know, fashion industry or there's, there's a shift in our thinking globally, I'd like to think anyway. We'd like to think, but if you use fashion as an example, um, people are still buying a lot of very cheap, 
product which is probably being made in sweatshops and then they're disposing of the clothes very, very quickly which goes to landfill. So, yeah, I think it was shifting but we've got a lot, long way to go. Long way to go. Mm. And talk about in collaboration in terms of the business side. Can you give us some case studies or examples? Yeah, so again, even from a, a business side and certainly from a, a tourism perspective, so recently people might know the new Bridgeport Hotel opened up uh, at Murray Bridge, a big new redevelopment, and we're building a hotel at Monato. And again, some people instantly think, oh, don't you see you're going to be in competition? Well, not at all. We've been working really closely with Mary Lou Corcoran and then her team at the Bridgeport so that when they're running conferences, they will then run day trips to Monato. The the more you can give people a reason to go to a region and spend longer in the region, we'll all be better off. So we tend to try and look at partnering wherever we can. We had the Tourism Awards last week, which was fabulous. I was sitting next to... Uh, you did off- very well there. Congratulations. Thank you. Just sort of get the plug in. We're yep. still celebrating. Um but I was sitting next to the, the operators of Haunted Horizons, which is a, a mm-hmm. local company I'm sure many people know. They've run the, the tours in Zed Ward and um, Adelaide Jail. As we were looking to try and drive revenue when we weren't able to bring day visitors in, we now run Haunted Horizons run uh, ghost tours at Adelaide Zoo. Again, a fabulous collaboration. They're really using our site and their expertise in running ghost tours. So there's lots of those examples around the place. Fantastic. What about in terms of businesses or organisations? Have you got any great case studies? Oh, look, we work closely with so many good South Australian organisations. Variety, the children's charity, they helped us build the Nature's Playground. A really lovely collaboration. Um, and now we're currently working with the Royal Society for the Blind to see whether it's possible for people to come and visit the zoo with their assistance dog. Um, currently, we don't allow that because of, and that was based on earlier advice, we're a, a biosecure area, but also we want to make sure that the welfare of our animals and also the dogs themselves isn't put at risk. So, yeah, we've had a couple of training sessions where the RSB staff bring a, a dog or two dogs in and walk around with some of our staff and we video how the dogs react and also how animals, our animals react to see if we can map out a, a pathway or a route that would be considered safe for our animals and their dogs. Thank you. A great story there. Actually, my favourite one I could give you, though, is about gin. Oh, please explain. Gin and rhinos. Oh. How can they go together? Got my attention. <laughs> the uh, wonderful Ambleside uh, Distillery at Handorf uh, have been supporters of, of the zoo and particularly our rhino conservation program. And we've been doing gala dinners to raise money to build our quarantine facility to bring rhinos over from Africa. And I was chatting to Trudy after one of the gala dinners. She said, oh, I'm sure there's more we can do. And I said, well, you're running a distillery. I'm sure there's something there. And so they ended up creating a special uh, kifaru, which means rhino, gin that was infused with botanical plants that only grow at Monato. They sell the gin. They make the gin. They sell the gin. And the profits all go to rhino conservation. So all people need to do is buy a bottle of gin and they can help rhinos. I don't think there's a better case study of collaboration than that. That's about really thinking outside the square, isn't it? Thinking, well, what does the customer want? What does um, the outcome look like? Who can partner? Mm. What? How do we be innovative and different? And really looking for that win-win. And so, when, yeah. when, I mean, we've got a lot of corporate partners and Part of what we can offer is amazing reach because, you know, we've got nearly half a million visitors come to see us, got really big social media presence. 
So if a corporate partner wants their brand awareness or reach, we can offer that. If they want staff rewards or staff recognition, we can offer that by giving them tickets so that they can give away. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, apart from our, our gin distillery, we had one with Prancing Pony who was supporting our Prozowski horse. There's one Watch This Space coming in the wine sector soon. So, yeah, we're always looking at where is their mutual benefit? How can we promote our business and, and what we want to raise awareness and funds for? that also supports somebody else. So that is a, a great opportunity for corporates listening or anyone who's got some new ideas to come and present them. Absolutely. We've, we're totally flexible. We've got corporate partnerships that cover a full spectrum, whether it be legal services, peat soils. Uh, so they can be really practical. They can be very business-oriented. Beaumont Tiles have been one of our supporters. They're doing some outfitting of our new visitor centre. I know they had their big staff for Christmas night just recently. So there's always opportunities opportunities and and uh, my team are very flexible to come up with a, a, a true win-win win-win-win and with a great South Australian organization just moving on to strategy and planning ahead you've looked at this 20-year master plan mm-hmm. that's for um, a physical infrastructure for the organization and Minato talk us through some of your processes or thinking around that and how you create sustainability as and, and you've talked about Um, the purpose being around conservation, how does that all tie in together and how do you execute that? That's a big question. It is a big question. (laughs) There's lots there. Um, I know we we refer back to our master plan, which is our 20-year plan. We actually started that with the question of how do we deliver on our mission most successfully? And, And our mission is about saving species from extinction and connecting people with nature. So what does it look like at Adelaide Zoo or Monato Safari Park in 20 years' time to help us do that as successfully as we can? So it ended up as an infrastructure plan, but it started out with that bigger question. And it's guided where we've gone, but we're not slave to it. And we can't be because we work with animals. So a simple example of that is we'd said at Adelaide Zoo we weren't going to have uh, giraffes stay in the long-term future of Adelaide Zoo. And then we had one one bad giraffe sadly passed away. We were left with a single giraffe. The team spent eight months trying to train her to go into a trailer. She just (laughs) didn't. Um, she's the giraffe that said no, and so we were going to have like my dog. Mm, she, <laughs> she's uh, and my staff can train pretty much anything. I mean, we've we've got our animals, our lions at Minato trained to to back up and put their tails. Um, close enough so that the vets can actually draw blood so that oh, we wow. – because we use the training so that we don't need to anaesthetise for health checks. So, right. I mean, we've got incredibly skilled staff, but no, this giraffe, she's not good at change. So it we had to relook at our master plan and say, well, if we are going to keep giraffes, we want to have an improved facility that they're in. So we've got these really exciting plans now which would redevelop the riverbank frontage of the zoo because we've currently got our back yes. to that. Yes. Um, so that's really exciting plans. But you've got to have the plans first and then it's about chasing funds to make it uh, come to life. Yes. And, of course, at Monato, the, the big plan was the new visitor centre and then the accommodation experiences. So that's work in progress. Those ones are funded. They're being built now. Slight delay with COVID, but not too much. Very exciting. So you've got lots of stakeholders involved in all of that planning and engagement, your people, and I love the definitive nature of your mission and purpose. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because we're just doing a review of our strategic plan now because it took strategic plans. I mean, while the zoo's been around as a society, a royal society, since 1878, the very first strategic plan was 2012. 
That's not that long ago. No, it was the year I started, mm. really. Oh, so yes, yeah. we're now coming up to our um, second review. It was a five-year strategic plan. And so we've just recently surveyed our staff about that purpose, um, connecting people with nature and saving species from extinction. And it's got a really high resonance. Like people know it, understand it, and it, it doesn't matter what role you play in the organisation, you know that it's doing something to help achieving that purpose. So it's a really, um, it's, a, it's a clear call to who we are and what we do. Because we can make an enormous difference ourselves by, you know, whether it be breeding endangered animals, release to the wild, habitat protection, feral control. But we can also make an enormous difference by educating. You mentioned the start that uh, we do play that education role. If you talk about sustainable practices, you talk about single-use plastics or sustainable palm oil. You know, we, we can actually get that message to a lot of people. I think you must wake up every day, Elaine, as you said, dream job, best office, um, and um, and just making a, a fabulous contribution to our city and state and beyond and, and the industry. Yeah, it's. Um, I think when we we put on our light creatures, part of the Illuminate Adelaide, and I was when I was at the opening night, I said, you know, who would ever put on a festival in the middle of a pandemic? It was like like literally we were got shut down that was during the July lockdown was right in the middle of that the people who built the lanterns for us were in Victoria so we had to go through to try and work out how we could get them here it was it was really really challenging but I said so is conservation you know we've been working on a project to bring rhinos over from Africa where they're just being slaughtered it's awful and that's a you know it's probably a five ten year project and so so complex even before COVID because legally you're not allowed to bring rhinos into Australia because of biosecurity so you've got to find a partner in New Zealand they've got to build quarantine facilities so everything takes effort but we're really determined so we just keep doing it and that determination is that is a cultural um, element that drives outcome yeah we don't give up easily. At all. Well, I'm pleased to hear that. Um, Elaine, thank you so much for sharing. I think I feel very comfortable saying that you are one of an exceptional female leader in South Australia and I really respect the work that you do and appreciate your time today. Thank you. It was lovely to chat. At SA Leaders, we are all about collaboration and community. If you're curious to know more about how we help businesses and leaders just like you scale and grow beyond the glass ceilings, then visit our website at www.saleaders.com.au. And please don't forget to subscribe, share this podcast with your network and write a review if you really enjoyed it. This has been an Audiosity production. I'm Natasha Malani and I look forward to chatting with you next time. Happy connecting.